Welcome to the Axe 13 Network Podcast. My name is Dan Rose, and I am the lead troublemaker here at the Axe 13 Network. We're glad you have decided to spend a little bit of time with us. What can you expect from this podcast? Well, hopefully, you will walk away from it learning to love well. That's our heart, that's our hope, that's our desire. We want to try to help people love well by hearing the words of Jesus, learning the works of Jesus, and following in the way of Jesus. So let's get on to this week's episode. Well, here we go again, continuing in our study of the book of Acts. So where have we been? Well, let's remember that the book of Acts opens up with Jesus talking to the disciples, right? Talking to the to the 11 at this point and says, "Hey, you're going to be you're going to be my witnesses." Um, and then my man floats away on a cloud and they are left standing there going, what just happened when a couple of angels show up and they're like, why are you looking into the clouds? And I got to imagine the disciples were thinking, um, because we just saw some dude float away into the clouds. Duh. Uh, so, you know, and, and then they're from the, the moment of exhilaration of the season of joy that must have overwhelmed them uh, after the resurrection they're now left again in a state of grief and despair and heartache. And that's kind of where we left off last time where you had these the disciples saying, you know, what, what is the one next thing we can do in the midst of our grief, in the dark place that we find ourselves in? What can we do? Because, and if that sounds very worldly, it's because it is. Because remember, the book of Acts is ultimately the story of people. Real life people. People who were just trying to make it. People who are just putting one foot in front of the other. People who are just trying to figure out what is the one next thing that we should do. You see, the book of Acts is our family story. Yes, to be sure the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Yes, to be sure the, the people for whom we read about, the Holy Spirit was urging them and driving them and empowering them. But these were people, real life, everyday people with moms and dads and brothers and sisters and friends and worries and struggles and jobs. Just like us. And so as we read this story, we have to remember that these were normal everyday people so that we cannot separate ourselves or pull ourselves apart from the normal everyday people that we see in this story. Otherwise, we could think that the things that we read in this aren't for us, that this was just tall tales or just things that, that were for super special, super Christian types. Mm-mm. This is a story for real people, about real people. This is our family story. Now, uh, I got to confess that 
getting ready for what we're about to look at was really hard because I have tried to break this down into smaller chunks and I just absolutely could not do it. And that is going to happen as we walk through the book of Acts together. There are going to be times where we're going to have to look at a huge part of the story. Because remember, this is a story. This was a story that was told. This this was never really meant to kind of be broken down into a paragraph and and then let's let's piece out every little nuance of this. Now this is a story, and so we're going to look at a big chunk of the story today. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 41, and I know that sounds like a lot, but there's no way to pull it apart. It's all part of the one story. It's all, it's all one moment, one scene, and, and we got to look at the whole thing for it to really make much sense. And there's going to be other times we're going to do that. And so you're going to have to bear with me uh, as we read the story together. It goes like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, that's important uh, because the day of Pentecost, uh, this this was a feast. This was a, a big Jewish feast. It was considered one of the, um, you know, one of the pilgrimage feasts. And, uh, and so we're going to find out that there were people from all over the world. So this was, this was a key moment. It says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Persia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Now, What's significant about this, there's, there's a bunch here, right? I mean, first you have the Holy Spirit descending. The Holy Spirit comes. Now, some people want to read this as some sort of literal thing, but it's figurative. This is all figurative language. They heard a sound like that of a blowing violent wind. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Something happened that was arousing all of their senses. And this was, this was just one of, it's one of those moments where they were so overwhelmed and so awed by the presence of the divine that they could not accurately describe it. And we see this throughout the scriptures when, when people have interactions with the divine that they can't quite put language on it. It's like this. It's kind of like this. It's sort of like this. You see, we cannot put, we cannot put the divine in a box. We cannot accurately put our hands around the divine. Otherwise, Otherwise, it's not divine. And so the Spirit, the Spirit is not something that we can contain, control, that we can really wrap our minds and heads and hands around. No, it is an overwhelming thing that takes 
that takes over. The Holy Spirit came in to them. And then what happens is they are able to speak in other tongues. They are empowered to do what? To witness. Do you remember that? Back in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses to where? The ends of the earth. What happens as soon as the Spirit comes? They become witnesses. And who is there? The ends of the earth. You see this list of nations, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs. This is the known world. This is the known world. What did Jesus say they would be? Witnesses to the ends of the earth. What happens as soon as the Holy Spirit shows up? They become witnesses to the ends of the earth. Is that not remarkable? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is fulfilled immediately. The known world, as far as the early church is concerned, the known world, done. And they never left Jerusalem. They were empowered by the Spirit to bring about this, this thing, this calling. Remarkable. Now, there were, you know, I love the response, right? Amazed and perplexed. What does this mean, said the crowds? Some were amazed, some were perplexed, and some were cynical. They made fun of them, said they had too much wine. So, you know, as much as people have changed, as much as the world has changed, it really hasn't. Because if this were to happen today, what would you, what would you see? Well, you'd see people who are perplexed and amazed and cynical. You'd see the whole gamut of responses to something like this. Peter, in verse 14, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken." Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not 
that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not see, ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Whew! Quite a sermon. Now, uh, to be sure, this is not, you know, the exact sermon Peter gave. This is, uh, you know, eyewitness accounts that Luke had found and you know, talked to and said, okay, so what did Peter say? And this was probably people's best recollection to what, kind of what Peter said. But this gives us this glimpse of, of how they were telling the story of Jesus. They were telling the story of Jesus from the perspective of the Old Testament. They saw in, in the prophets these promises about what would happen. And then they were beginning to see those promises fulfilled. Old promises new fulfillment, right? That's what we see over and over again. Because who is he speaking to? He is speaking to fellow Israelites. He is speaking to fellow Jews. He is speaking to his people. His people who came from the known world. His people who came from the ends of the earth. And it is repeated over and over and over again. Luke does not want you to miss this. Fellow Israelites, fellow Israelites, my brothers and sisters, this, this is who he was speaking to. This is who he was witnessing to. He was, he was being a witness. They were being witnesses of Jesus to the Jewish people. You have to understand, we have to understand at this point that there is no separation. Like that, this whole following Jesus thing was not meant to be a new deal not meant to pull apart, not meant to separate. No, this was the fulfillment of what, of what the people knew. It was the fulfillment of their story. It was, it was the point in time where they were able to say, oh, God has made good on his promises. This was in the water at the time. People were constantly looking at the Old Testament and they were looking in the prophets in particular and looking in the Psalms, looking for the Messiah. They believed that the Messiah was coming. They believed that there would come a point in time when God would show up and make all things right, would reconcile the world. We see this in the writings of the Qumran community and other, in other places. There were lots of would-be Messiahs, but they all died. And you see, a dead Messiah is no Messiah. And so here is a Messiah that conquered death. Death could not hold him. So Peter is saying, guys, it's happened. It's real. The fulfillment 
has happened. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Let all Israel be assured of this. This is the Messiah. That's the story that gets told that day. And what happens? 3,000 added to their number. Now, here's what is remarkable to me. Is we hear that and we think, wow, he preached a sermon. 3,000 people were added to their number. That must, that, what a successful day. Mm-mm. By our standards, this was probably a failure. I mean, you think about it. If you are the pastor of a church and you do a big outreach and you have 3,000 people commit their lives to Jesus and a sum total of zero of them come to church, success or failure? If your church doesn't grow, isn't that a failure? Now, some of us would say, no, that's a success regardless. But by our modern day way of doing things, the way that we look at things so often in the context of church is that this was a big fail. 3,000 people, sure, they, they trusted Christ, but zero of them became parts of that church. No, what they did is they went to the ends of the earth. They went to the ends of the earth. They went back home and took the story with them. This is why as we continue to read the story and Paul shows up, there are people who are believers. Almost everywhere he shows up at. How? Well, probably because they started here at this moment, on this day. This is the turning point in the whole story. This is the moment. This is the moment when it, go, when it becomes a movement. When, when there is great transformation that takes place. It is a remarkable thing, but it is a remarkable thing that takes place at exactly the right moment. A week earlier, wouldn't have had this happen. A week later, wouldn't have had this happen. No, the Holy Spirit came and showed up at exactly the right moment. Right? This moment where people from the ends of the earth were in Jerusalem. They were there worshiping. They were there. They were there. They were present. And so were the followers of Jesus present. It says they were in a house, but you got to wonder what, what kind of house they were in and where this place was at if the people of all, all the, the crowds heard all of this saw it, witnessed it. So something had, something had begun to change in them. They went out. You know, they, 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 they was like, it was like a snap of the fingers. The Holy Spirit came on them and they left that house. They went public, man. They went public quick. There was now an urgency about what was going on in them. There was no more fear. There was no more timidity. No, they were out in the public. They were out amongst the crowds, being witnesses to the ends of the earth. But none of this could have happened except at just the right time, at just the right moment, on just the right day. This is the sovereign and good God at work. 
Jesus said, wait. And so they waited, putting one foot in front of the other, doing the, doing the next thing. And then, boom. At the right moment, the Holy Spirit shows up and does the God thing. In our day and age, we tend to try to manufacture this stuff. We try to come up with a new strategy, a new plan. In all my years on staff with Campus Crusade, you know, we'd go to our fall staff conference and we would hear the story of the new outreach, the new thing that was happening on campuses all over our region. And then everybody would go back and do it because all that worked because we're constantly looking for the thing that worked. The problem is that we always missed the sovereignty of God in the moment. That might not work on your campus, at your place. Why? Because you have a sovereign God who is at work. It worked in that moment, at that place, for that thing. It might not be thing to do over here or over there. No, what we need to learn from this is that we need to be in a state of prayer and expectancy and waiting and watching and being ready for the sovereign move of God in our lives. You see, these were people who were praying. They were constantly praying together. They were constantly, they were in the scriptures and they were praying and they were together. And so as a result of that, they were ready when God moved. They were ready when God moved. And I think that's the challenge to us. It is not to try to come up with the next new great outreach plan or the next new great scheme or strategy or church growth model. No, it is to be together in prayer, waiting for the move of God so that when God moves, we are ready, that we're ready to go because that's what they were. They were ready to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And in that moment, they were. And they saw God do something. They saw God fulfill the command, the call, to go and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what they saw happen. And they were ready. And they, and they took that step. What, what are we doing to be ready? What are we doing to prepare ourselves for the sovereign move of God? Because to be sure, God is still at work. God is doing things in the world. It's just so often we miss them. So often we ignore it. So often we go, ah, oh, that's just that what seems like a flame of fire is just some heartburn. And we take some pride a second, we move on and we get over it. What are we doing to, keeping, to keep ourselves ready to see the moment when it comes? to be moved by the divine, to go and do the very thing he has called us to do. That's the challenge. Be ready. How do we be ready? Well, we be ready by spending time in the scriptures. We be ready by praying, not just alone, but together. We be ready by being together by being together. And we'd be ready by showing up and being present in the place that we've been called to. Maybe that's your neighborhood. Maybe that's your workplace. Maybe that's your favorite coffee shop. I don't know. 
But go, be present, show up. Having been prayed up, having been scriptured up, having been community up, but we go and we, and we are present and we are with one another. So ask yourselves, wrestle with that. How, how are you getting yourself ready to be ready for this sovereign move of God?